0: Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart podcast, episode number 28. I'm your host, Derek Moore, and today we're going to be touching on a couple things around volatility and options, how options or do options right before a stock reports earnings. Do they tell you anything about the potential direction or how much something will move post earnings announcement? And we'll just touch briefly on the VIX or the VIX index. Uh, of course give you some links into uh, at the bottom of the show notes in the episode so make sure you're reading those and I'll start out with the idea of the vix so the vix index vix if you've ever gone into a restaurant or you're sitting in uh, you know an office or you're watching at home and you turn on CNBC or Bloomberg or Fox Business right they're going to show you the the ticker across the bottom but they're also going to show you the what the S&P 500 is doing what Dow Jones is doing, what bond yields are are doing. But they're also going to show you something called the VIX, or the VIX index. And the VIX, what that does, and the Chicago Board of Options Exchange, uh, I believe, is the uh, uh, purveyor of this, and they do the the calculations. But the VIX measures, really, the 30-day options on the S&P 500 index. So that's the underlying and it looks at uh, you know the underlying calls, the underlying puts, right, and looks at how robust or the level of premium. In other words, what are people willing to pay for these options? And so VIX is a measure of volatility vis-a-vis options premiums. And the idea is that, and a lot of people call this the fear index. And the reason why they do that is because. The VIX tends to rise when you have market sell-offs or panics or any type of stuff that's going on in the market. And it tends to be very complacent, very low, when you don't have much movement or volatility in, in the market or much fear in the market. Now, the reality is it's not a fear index. It's not measuring fear. But what it's measuring is how robust premiums are on the S&P 500. And so to give you an example I pulled up a random data as a website called VIX Central. I'll of course, you know, uh, link to it in the show notes. But you can pull up VIX Central and you can actually go and and see the term structure or see what uh, the VIX was. Not only today, but you can also look at it back in time. And by the way, I will talk a little bit. Somebody asked me today, "Hey, I heard heard them talking about a uh, inversion of the VIX curve. Is that the same thing as the inversion of the Treasury yield curve?" So I'll talk about that. But just for reference, uh, just looking at you know October 16th of 2008, and so that would have been in the midst of you know the financial crisis. The VIX future, the nearest month, uh, was at 63. To put that into perspective, the VIX today, uh, even with uh, you know a little bit of a sell-off. Uh, I believe the VIX, and by the way, the VIX has been fairly low. Uh, it closed around 19.3, which is higher than it's been uh, in some time. To, to put that in perspective, you know, we had a very, very low VIX uh, for several years, and you know, even back, let's see, back in April, it was only about 12.5. So, back in uh, in 2008, certainly, so you saw very elevated VIX levels. But all it is, it's measuring the near-term, uh, you know, typically the 30-day outlook for volatility, and it's going to go up when people are willing to pay more for options. Now, it's worth noting that the VIX index that you see on TV cannot be traded. That's what's called the spot index, or uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's there's no instruments that you can actually trade it. Would people, when they say they're trading the VIX, what they're actually doing is they're using the futures contracts. And that gets a little bit technical because um, you got leverage there, and, and futures contracts are issued over different weeks or months, or people are using options. But again, the options don't aren't based upon the price of the VIX that you see on TV, the VIX index. They're tied to those corresponding futures contracts. So it gets a little bit complicated and uh, sometimes confusing because what you see the VIX at is different than what the VIX futures are at, but. Uh, The other thing that happened, uh, I think I mentioned, was somebody said, hey, I heard on TV today that we saw an inversion of the VIX curve. What is that? Okay, You might remember a couple episodes back, I talked about the inversion of the Treasury yield curve. And I'll link to that episode if you want to listen to that. But remember, when you do a graph of, let's say, the 30-day Treasury bill or the 60-day, the 2-year, the 5-year, the 10-year, the 30-year, What you do is you just plot on a graph all of those interest rates on those corresponding maturities. And typically, what you'll see is from left to right, you'll see a curvature up, meaning the long end of the curve, the longer duration bonds have a higher yield than the shorter end. What we've seen recently uh, is some of the the shorter dated maturities on bonds have their yields have gone above, let's say, the 10-year yield. And that's called an inverted treasury yield curve. Okay, so I'll, I'll of course link to that if you want to brush up on that, I'll learn a little bit more. Did uh, I think two episodes on yield curves, uh, but the VIX curve is simply it. It does the same thing. It plots a number of prices, but instead of using treasury yields, what it does, it looks at the price or the price level of all these VIX futures contracts going out. You know, current month, next month, following month. You know, a year out, something like that. And it plots the same thing. It draws a curve. And typically, the near month uh, VIX futures contract in a, let's say, normal environment, you'd expect that to be a little bit lower than the, the back end. Uh, there's a number of reasons for that. But uh, one of the things we saw today uh, as volatility spiked up a bit, as the market uh, retraced, you know, roughly 2% or so, uh, at least uh, at some point during the day is the front month actually went above, I think it's the second month. or um, So you had a little bit of an inversion, but nothing like you had, let's say, in 2008. So I'll, of course, link to that if you want to get a historical perspective. Okay, so the the VIX index um, is really what you see on TV. But when you're looking at underlying and underlying assets, meaning a stock or an index, that's where we get into something called implied volatility. And so this uh, this episode is going to be a little bit more detailed, um, and I'll of course give you some links and things like that if you're interested in learning more about uh, uh, you know implied volatility or the option Greeks and things like that. But implied volatility, think of it this way: it's you know when an option gets priced. Um, options are a derivative of an underlying, and so there's calls, there's puts, right, and. Those prices are based upon how much time until expiration, interest rates, things like that, how far away the option is, its price, or its strike price, from where the current underlying is, meaning is it in the money, is it out of the money? Uh, But implied volatility is sort of this expectation of how wide a range, an expected range of an underlying asset, let's just say a stock is. And to give you a little perspective on this, let's say- that you're looking at something and it has an implied volatility of ten. Okay, what does that mean? Well, ten is actually that's fairly low. I mean, what's low? It's all relative, right? Uh, but an IV or an implied volatility of ten uh, to kind of translate that into what the options market and we say implied volatility. Uh, people are sort of betting or or placing invest you know, doing investments um, and. Markets are, a, are really a study in supply and demand. So we say when the options market, it's really what the, the collective uh, traders in, on the market are willing to pay for options and what their expectations are. So let's say a, a stock has an IV or an applied volatility of 10. What does that mean? Well, there's a little trick that you can do to try and get, let's say, the, the one-day expected one standard deviation move based upon how the options market is pricing its options. And that implied volatility with that one number, you can do a lot of things. And so there are typically 252 trading days in the year. And when I say 252 trading days, that's 252 days that an underlying asset can move if you are the buyer or seller of an option. And one of the tricks that you do here is you take the square root of 252 and that's 15.874, and then a whole bunch of numbers after that. So just kind of rounded to 15.875. And when I first learned this, people used to say, don't do 15.875, just round it up even more to 16, because you know that's just it's easier to do. And as you see what I'm gonna do in a second, it might be easier for you. But I'll, I'll go with the 15.875. And so if I've got an implied volatility of of 10 what i can do to get this expected at least what the market is sort of expecting based upon its pricing for a one day standard deviation i can take the implied volatility of 10 divided by the square root of 252 which is 15.875 and i get 0.63 so it's a quick you know back of the envelope way to say okay if i've got this underlying asset and i've got this uh this implied volatility number, what the options market is saying based upon that implied volatility is you know the expectation that uh, let's say you know the market's closed. Let's say tomorrow that the market on this stock, whatever it is, is gonna be 0.63%. That's the one standard deviation sort of range, right? Okay, it doesn't know higher, it doesn't know if it's going up or going down, but that's the range. And so you might say, well, that's interesting. But don't people sometimes do options not just for a day? Well, of course they do, right? One day would, wouldn't be a lot of time until expiration. And so the trick to, to translate that one-day number into, let's say, you know, you're know, you looking at options or you're looking at a, a stock and you're saying, hey, what, what are these 50-day options or 49-day options? Well, the second step would just be take that 0.63 and you multiply it by the square root of the time. That you're looking to evaluate, and so um, I, when I do this, I, I choose a number that has an easy square root. So the square root of 49, for example, is seven. Uh, but if not, you know, you get a calculator out. So if I take 0.63 times the square root of 49, which of course is seven, then I get 4.41 percent. So basically, with an IV of 10, I'm saying over the next 49 days. Um, the 49-day expected one standard deviation range based upon this implied volatility, which could be right or wrong. Or it's not. It's not uh, certain. It's just based upon the pricing. You would think, you know, one standard deviation range about 4.41%. Okay, so let's back up a second. What we're saying is there's this number called implied volatility, and the options market sort of puts an expectation of future volatility, and they price the underlying or the options, the calls and puts, based a lot on what the expectation is for future movement, right? If you think something's going to move a lot, it's going to be a little more expensive to buy or, or, you know, the options, right? If you think there's going to be no movement at all, well, no one's going to buy an option that's, you know, a really far away move from the current price. Those are going to not have a really big premium in them. So, we take the square root of 252. We get that 15.875. You can also use 16, right? But you can uh, once you have the implied volatility. In our example, we took 10 divided by 15.875, and that's 0.63. If I want it, and that's the one standard deviation range. If I want to get a a range over uh, a number of days, you know, out in time, uh, I take the square root of the number of days. So if it's, it's 100, you take the square root of 100. If it's 49, take the square root of 49 which, by the way, is 7, right? We should know that. And we came up with 4.41. One of the things you should take from this is that if, let's say, implied volatility is much higher, if it's much higher, the option is going to be priced higher because there's an expectation of possibility of a wider move, a wider range of a move. And so this brings us to earnings. You know, a lot of people look at earnings, and they're, if you follow stocks, like I said, it, it's four times a year, it's like Christmas for you. So if you follow a stock and you want to know, although the company gives guidance and you've got analysts making recommendations or uh, you know predictions or they're doing an analysis and they, they say, yeah, I think they're going to get X number of cents per share or dollars per share, this is the four times a year that it's really new information. So whenever you have an earnings announcement, if the earnings are far above the expectations or far below the expectations, or there's something in the revenue or the forward guidance, there's any number of things uh, that could be a little bit unexpected, and you could see a shift in sentiment on the stock. And so depending upon the stock, they could move the stock quite a bit. And so to give you an example, there was a stock, and let's just say it's a uh, you know, more volatile stock, it's a higher beta stock. And I went back and I looked, uh, one day or two days before earnings, its implied volatility was 300. Now remember, at an implied volatility of 10, that's a 0.63 one-day expected one standard deviation move, right? Remember the the bell curve. You know most grades are within 68% of the time. Most grades are within that little cone, and I'm raising my hands and trying to form the cone right now. Well, uh, 0.63 was a 10 an implied volatility or IV of 300, um, which is actually a level that I saw on a high beta tech stock right before its earnings, that would imply a one standard deviation move of about 18.9%, 18.9%. And so what it's saying is, hey, the options market is pricing in a move of close to 19%. You may not know which direction, right? Um, but it's pricing that in. And this gets back to the other question. Um, a lot of people new to options. Um, one of the things typically they they get excited about is they say, wait a second, there's this trade, there's this strategy that I can buy a call and buy a put, and do what's called an at-the-money straddle. So imagine the stock is, you know, three hundred and seventy dollars, and you say, hey, earnings are tomorrow, and I think earnings are going to drive the the stock. One is buy something that I don't care which way it moves, as long as it moves. I can, you know, maybe do OK on this. Well, here's the challenge with this. And I like to give the the analogy of, you know, imagine if you put one of those plastic red cups on a pole. And imagine the top of the pole. Maybe it's, you know, one of those cylinders, right, you know, that they put so you don't drive up on the sidewalk. But imagine you put this red cup that's light on top of the pole. And you say, hey, you know, I think we haven't had much wind, but I think it's going to be windy tomorrow. Um, And so I don't know what direction it's going to blow, but I think it's going to blow off there. And let's say my options are, you know, uh, one foot to the left, one foot to the right. And as long as it goes more than one foot, well, great. I I profit from that investment. Okay. Maybe this analogy is not working. But the point is that you think it's going to be windy, but you don't know what direction. Here's the thing though what if they were pricing that? Underlying, you know, the cup blown off the pole, and you knew in the weather report it was going to be twenty mile an hour winds. Uh, well, certainly, if somebody was was doing something on an investment like that, you would have to pay up because the expectation was it's going to get blown away and further away from the the pole. And so the straddle is a trade. Maybe I did a good job with that analogy. Maybe I didn't. I came up with that on the fly. I probably should have planned that more. But I, hopefully that was uh, constructive. But the straddle is the idea of somebody buying a call, buying a put. So give me an example. Let's say you've got an underlying stock and you've got, uh, let's see, uh, a stock that has an expiration or an option that has an expiration for 24 days in the future. And the stock is trading in, I don't know, 370. Call it XYZ. I don't think XYZ is a real stock yet, right? So XYZ is trading at 370. And you want it to buy a call, meaning you want it to go up, or buy a put, meaning you want it to go down. And those are priced evenly uh, conveniently for our math at 13 dollars each and so you can kind of see if you buy the call and you buy the put well you spend 26 bucks right if the stock's at 370 that means in order to make any money on the upside you'd have to have it go more than 396 in order to make money on the downside it'd have to go more than three forty four dollars to the downside right so it'd have to go to 343 and some change, right, or three ninety six and some change to actually be uh, above your your break evens. And so, the reason why I bring that up is this idea of the straddle of I don't care which way it goes as long as it goes. Well, the thing is, when earnings come out or when there's a big move uh, expected, I remember I can't, can't think I can find it anymore. But Martha Stewart, her sentence was being announced, or whether she was guilty. And the implied volatility on her company stock was through the roof because people didn't know what was going to happen there. So, you know, this is sort of priced in. And somebody doing a position like this, um, unless the market's wrong, uh, you know, typically the market's pricing in an expected move. And so to to kind of bring it back to our example on the implied volatility, um, this stock, right? It says uh, 24 days to expiration. Uh, Let's say it's got a 34 implied volatility. Okay. So what we would do is we take the uh, 34 divided by 15.875. And that tells us the expected move one day, one standard deviation, is 2.14%. Over the next 24 days, doing the math, it's about 10.5%. And so this stock uh, basically is... You know, pricing in that type of a, an expected move. Uh, again, you don't know which way, and so um, don't take that and say, "Well, how, how come the the options aren't um, you know thir- forty forty dollars or so?" Remember, it could be up or down. But I just bring this up because every once in a while, somebody asks me about the idea of um, option strategies and what they might be telling us about the market. And there's a couple things here. Number one is this is a trade that's a little more advanced than it seems because it's really a play on implied volatility or a volatility-based trade. And uh, stock has to move quite a bit um, if you're going along this. But also the market already knows that potentially there's going to be a move on an underlying security. And if the expectation is for a big move, its options are going to be pricing in that expectation, Okay. The other thing is, You can look, and and it is is constructive if you look at the implied volatility right before earnings, uh, you can actually see how much bigger that is depending upon uh, whether it's something that it's believed to to be moving quite a bit. Uh, I can't remember uh, 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 the numbers on it exactly, but one of the great examples of really high implied volatility, um, there were some uh, Canadian dollar futures and options on the futures and there was this thing called the uh, uh, succession vote, whether Quebec was going to secede from Canada. And I remember the implied volatilities were really, really high. Um, and that was something that uh, you know was pointed out to me by a, a number of really seasoned options people back in the day. So uh, all right, well, that's, uh, that's a little bit of a primer on VIX, implied volatility, and how you can take applied vol- implied volatility. And do a little bit of math and see what the options market is expecting over a period of time for a one standard deviation move. And so this got, as I said, a little bit more involved. But I get questions about this. And so I thought I would cover it. I'll, of course, link to uh, uh, the website I, I mentioned that you can take a look at the term structure of the VIX futures curve. I'll also link to the uh, the Treasury yield inversion piece and uh, and podcast that I did. And one of the things that's been helpful, uh, those of you who have reached out to me with suggestions on episodes, uh, you can go to razorwealth.com and message me on the site. And let me know if there's a topic or something you think would be interesting to cover. And of course, instead of wasting your time saying, hey, rate and like and do all this, uh, do me a favor. If you find this valuable, continue to share it with friends or colleagues uh, because that's how we we can grow this audience. And I appreciate it. All right, we'll see you all next week.